Killers, the name of that one there, from Kylie Ray Harris, uh, who tragically passed away this week, uh, gone way too soon, age of 30 years old, one of my favorites on the uh, country music scene, and she truly, truly will be missed, no doubt about that, uh, rip Kylie Ray, and prayers go out to her daughter and her family, it's uh tragic couldn't believe when i heard the news anyway uh i'm cable smith and sorry to uh, get things going on such a somber note but i feel like we owe it to kylie ray as i've uh, played her music here over the last decade or so um you're tuned in to the lone star outdoor show and uh it is great to be here talking hunting fishing the great outdoors and all that implies with you fine folks today Thanks to our title sponsor, Dallas Safari Club, as well as Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. We've got a lot to get into today. Uh, this episode, and, and usually I don't name episodes, uh, but this one is going to be called Origins. And I think y'all will find it different, that's for sure. Um, and maybe it will help explain me a little bit, where I come from. Uh, we're almost 500 episodes into this thing now, and I've never really delved into my background. And so we're going to do that today. I've got two guests that will be joining me in studio. One of them is my father, because he has a lot to do with uh, that, obviously. Uh, actually, most of it is directly from him. And then indirectly, his friend and my friend and, and mentor of sorts, uh, Tim Morgan, will be here as well. Um, they've been, uh, these two have been in cahoots for a long time doing a backpacking trip, uh, either to New Mexico or a canoe trip to Canada. We just returned from that canoe trip and we're going to talk about how that trip, which is 33 years strong now, uh, has influenced ultimately why we're here today and, and ultimately how I get to call this a job. Uh, so Interesting stuff coming up with my old man and my friend, Tim Morgan. And uh, we're going to get into all of that here momentarily. But uh, a couple other things to mention. I have got the Lone Star Outdoors show cap. And uh, it's a First Light Cypher cap and a can of Lone Star Outdoors show branded pyro putty. I just put them on sale. Why not? I've got 100 caps. They are going for 35 bucks shipped to your door. That is a first light cap, and I'll throw in the can of pyro putty and ship it to you all for 35 bucks. Shoot me an email to LoneStarOutdoorsShow at gmail.com if you want one. I know 35 bucks is a lot for a cap. I think I've got, uh, after the embroidery and, and buying the hats, I think I'm in for 25 plus the can of $5 pyro putty. So basically, we're just going to see if people want them to begin with, and I'm not trying to really make a dime off of these things when you factor in shipping. Also, don't forget to check out my Kinetrek boots promotion that we've got going on social media. Um, we're giving away a pair of Kinetrek safaris. These are the same boots that I've taken to Africa, Canada, and everywhere in between. They retail for $365. So for more info on how to enter, just uh, check out my Instagram or Facebook feeds, and you'll find it right there. What else? What else? What else? Um, hope everybody's had a great start this fall. As a hunting season is underway, and I should have a great elk hunting recap for you next week as Chisholm, my good friend Chisholm Cook, and I will have returned 
from Montana where we were uh, going to be hunting with Ty Stubblefield of Born and Raised Outdoors. So um, never been to Montana to hunt elk. I'm really excited about that. A little uh, cautious or paranoid about the possible interaction with grizzly bears. Uh, so hopefully we will only see them from a distance if we see them at all. I could go for uh, neither of those. Uh, I saw some. The last time I was in Montana, bear hunting, actually saw more grizzlies than I did black bears, which is what we were pursuing. So a little unnerving, you know, to be honest with you. I'll have a, a uh, 45 on my hip and hopefully enough firepower to at least piss them off enough to go the opposite direction. Uh, <laughs> but whether you have a sidearm or pepper spray, the general consensus is the bear usually is on you before you even know what happened. So grizzlies, they say play dead. Black bears, they say fight back. Uh, hopefully I won't get to find out either way. <laughs> um, let's do a quick giveaway. This week, I've got a Coons Canyon Ranch cap and game guard. I would call it like a dove bag or a shell bag, a uh, camo bag here that I think retail. This package is like 50 bucks. But uh, thanks to our good friends over at Coons Canyon Ranch for sponsoring this week's giveaway. Just email the word Axis. That's Axis because they've got a bunch of big Axis bucks out there. But email Axis to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. And you could win this week's Coon Canyon Ranch giveaway. And then remember, our 12 monthly photo of the month winners will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. Let's take a break. Coming up next, my old man and our longtime family friend, Tim Morgan, dropped by right here on the Lone Star Outdoors show. Calling sweet Maria. Can you hear me? A fool that goes up and down the frozen canyon walls. Maria, how I love you. Hey y'all, spring is here and that means a lot of things, but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them Cable sent you. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. You can't tell who might be stowed away Shivering there while the boxes sway Who might jump before the light of day You can't tell there's a night train rolling by night train rolling by night train. That's the 
the music of the Mysticaros Night Train rolling by, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you for being here. Uh, thanks to Dallas Safari Club as well. Certainly appreciate everything they do, and uh, they're actually the sponsor of this segment. I'd like to invite you to join this group of people, hunters, outdoorsmen, and women, conservationists who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. To do so, head over to biggame.org. Uh, we'd love to have you. No doubt about that. I'm a proud member as well. Um, moving right along here. Today is all about origins. And that's why I have invited uh, two folks who have really impacted me as an outdoorsman. Obviously, my father uh, is here in studio because that's where it all began. And then someone who uh, influenced him, and in a greater sense, it came back to me as well. And that's because of Tim Morgan's love of backpacking. And we're going to go down this road and see how the dots connect here today. Uh, and so with that being said, it is my pleasure to welcome my dad, Guy Smith, and our good friend, Tim Morgan, to the studio. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank Good you. to be here. Yeah. So I feel like I should be calling you Mr. Morgan, but for the sake <laughs> of the interview, I think we'll just go with Tim. Uh, totally that's fine. Right with that you. is perfectly fine. So, uh, Tim, you're in large part, you know, you've played a major role in what I do for a living. Uh, you might not even realize that, and I'll explain in detail as we go here. But first, talk about your upbringing and whether or not hunting and fishing and, and backpacking were a big part of that or if that's something you discovered later on outdoors hunting fishing none of that was really part of my upbringing maybe a little bit of fishing mm -hmm. uh, my father is a minister and uh, Sundays were days to be in church and Saturdays were usually days to get ready to be in church on Sunday as far as the family goes so uh, we didn't have a lot of my outdoor experience was not real rich as a, as a young child mm -hmm. um, we did picnic a lot we went fishing when my dad my dad loved to fish and so when someone invited him to fish or made it a place available for him to fish we were able to do that but uh, as far as camping hunting things like this that was not something that uh, that I did much as a child I, I, I my interest in that for whatever reason was a was a book um, I had a book when I was a child called the I think a golden book of camping and camp craft mm -hmm. and for whatever reason that uh, kind of sparked my interest. It seemed like Sorry, that was Belle an interest. Hi there. <laughs> <laughs> That's Get no problem. <laughs> she but, knows Dad's a sucker, and he'll pet her all day. Well, I would too. So, <laughs> but that book, you know, kind of fueled an interest in the outdoors. But uh, again, my opportunities to to explore that weren't very uh, significant as a child. I, yeah. I I was a Cub Scout. Uh, we moved to Alabama, and I became a Boy Scout. Hmm. But again, my dad thought that Sundays were days to be in church and not to be camping in the woods, even if it was with scouts. And so I didn't, I had a limited scouting experience. And so always had that interest in the back of my mind. But uh, your dad still teaches Sunday school. He does. He's 95 years old and uh, he teaches a Bible study for probably more than 50 people every week. And his mind is as sharp as ever. So I hope he forgives me for going. Dove <laughs> well, he always says when you do that, you're out. He always blamed me for going out and shooting God's creatures but, uh, or symbols of peace. But uh, uh, but anyway, uh, when I was in high school, I had a, a, sun, a summer Sunday school teacher that was a graduate student at MIT, and he was a 
he was big time into backpacking and mountain climbing. And uh, I almost had the opportunity to go to Wyoming and do kind of a backpacking trip with him. That didn't materialize for a couple of reasons, but uh, bottom line was, uh, I guess when I was in college, I said, I need to get serious about this. And I, backpacking seemed to be something I was interested in. And by the time I think I was a junior, we used to go out to New Mexico every summer uh, with my, my parents had an opportunity, had a home that they were able to utilize for that. And so I borrowed some gear and just did a solo backpacking trip up into the Pecos wilderness. Mm. I was probably carrying 50 plus pounds for a two day trip. Um, but I learned an incredible amount and just, you know, became much more interested in backpacking. And then when I graduated from college, my parents gave me a little money and said, okay, if you want to buy some backpacking gear, you can do whatever you want. So I bought a, bought the rest of the gear that I needed. And, and my, I took my brother and a fraternity brother and his brother, and we went to Wyoming and went to the Wind River Range and did a week-long wow. backpacking trip. And I was hooked from there, that point forward. And so I've done quite a bit of backpacking, and I've done several times in Wyoming, a uh, number of times in Colorado and southwestern Colorado and central Colorado. And then, of course, I've been in the Pecos Wilderness and New Mexico Mountains uh, any number of times um, over right. the last uh, 45, 50 years <laughs> or so. Yeah. Well, and Dad, I, I remember going to Big Daddy and Mimi's house as a kid, and there was two things in the garage that really stood out, and that was a lot of golf clubs and a boat. And so I imagine, you know, seeing the fishing boat in there, that uh, that was a big part of of your upbringing, considering how much you enjoy fishing still to this day. Yeah, that was uh, a, a big thing for my dad. Uh, primarily crappie and catfish. And so I... I can remember many, many times we'd we'd have a baseball game one evening, and and he'd have the car loaded and ready to go, and we'd go out to an area lake and go set up somewhere and put out lanterns and sit until four or five o'clock in the morning, and trying to catch crappie or catfish. And uh, sometimes we might be pretty successful, other times uh, not so much, but we'd still sit there. <laughs> and eventually, uh, you know, I'd eventually fall asleep generally, and he would he would sit there, and I can remember it's just just as clear today. I could hear him say, "Guy, guy, you're getting a bite, you're getting a bite." <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we we he loved to fish like that, and and we did it quite a bit with minnows for the crop. Always minnows. He fished minnows strictly minnows for the crop. He never used jigs or anything else. Uh, and for the catfish, he loved to use shrimp. Huh. Okay. And you guys kept everything back then? That was oh, back then, yeah. Uh, and, and we kept it. We ate it. I mean, it, it was something he, he would always fry it up. So, uh, yeah, you, and there were no limits or slots or anything like that. So there was no problem keeping it. Yeah. And, and what if he accidentally caught a bass? Well, he would keep it. <laughs> but uh, he was never fishing for a bass. So... Uh, you know, I, that's strictly pretty much what I fish for now. But uh, you know, there was there was never any of this moving around trying to locate bass. We were generally set up on uh, some treetops or some something like that where the crappie would be congregating. And even back then, there wasn't. Uh, I mean, back then there wasn't a mindset of catch and release bass anyway. No, there sure wasn't. No. What uh, if you caught a carp though? <laughs> <laughs> if we caught a carp, uh, sometimes. Generally, we would keep it and then look for someone to give it to. Uh huh. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, um, 
I obviously care nothing about golf at, at this point in my life. So the <laughs> boat was the thing that st- sticks out to me. Um, I, I do remember you telling me a story about your sister hooking Big Daddy in the head, though, or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or we, a stone, uh, maybe. We, uh, a, a part of what our growing up experience was, we would, we would uh, vacation might be a outing to an area lake and camp there. And uh, generally we'd rent something like a barge or something for a large group and go out fishing. And there was one instance where uh, my sister managed to hook, hook my father's thumb and uh, that required a trip to the hospital. <laughs> yes. She yes. said it pretty good. Yeah, oh, it was in there real well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. uh. Well, so uh, obviously I grew up fishing. You've passed that on down to me. Uh, we did a lot of, of camping with Indian guides, and y'all were both very involved with uh, Indian princesses as well, even after your daughters were out of the program. And so I remember Jansen and I, my brother, would we get to tag along and, and just go to those campouts. Because you guys were in charge of like blowing all the stuff up for the oh yeah for the campfire for the bonfire yes um, so we did a lot of that uh, hunting was not something we did any of we never had guns in the house um, much like both of y'all's upbringings but let's fast forward to nineteen was it nineteen eighty six Tim nineteen eighty seven eighty seven yeah. okay so fast forward to nineteen eighty seven I guess I was probably six years old and I don't even remember you leaving Dad but uh, <laughs> apparently that was the first mountain man trip the wilshire mountain man trip that tim put together um did y'all know each other prior to the trip yeah we knew each other we knew each other from church Uh yeah sure we'd probably known each other for six or eight years at least before that at that time sure so tim what led you to put together that that (laughs) inaugural trip well uh, there was no intent to start any kind of tradition or uh, uh, anything of that sort Uh, it really was a friend of mine and I had, and our wives had gone out to dinner prior to going to the theater one night, and we got to talking about backpacking. And my friend said that well, he had done it once, right out of college, and he thought that was he had a lot of fun. It was really hard, but uh, uh, he knew that I had, had I was, had backpacked quite a bit, and and my my folks had a, a vacation home out near Santa Fe, and he said, well, you think we could go out to New Mexico and do a weekend backpacking trip sometime? And I said, well, sure, I'm sure we could do that. And he said, well, I know somebody else that might like to go. And I said, well, I know, you know, some, at least somebody that might like to go. And, and, um, uh, and Guy, of course, was, was one such person. And I think he was, you know, really busy with work and, and everything else in life at the time. But uh, I'd give credit to, to Connie, you know, Guy's wife, that uh, she was the one that said, mm. Guy really needs to go on this trip and, <laughs> and pretty much made him go. But so five of us ended up going out to New Mexico, and we did a kind of a long weekend trip out in the Pecos Wilderness, and we just we had a, um, a wonderful time. It was we went in late September. The fall color was just at its peak, and um, uh, we went to a beautiful mountain lake. Uh, I'm sure Guy will tell you that uh, that the fishing could have been better if if he had brought the uh, bait that he wanted to bring, uh-huh. that I, but that I told him he probably didn't need. But um, uh, we had a great time, and the way it, you know, from there we, we Did came back. Did you catch any fish that trip, Dad? Uh, I think we caught a few, but what, one? one? We caught one, one, according to Tim, <laughs> yes. But the, the guys, there were some other guys up there fishing not far away, and they were catching them like crazy. And so I finally went over and said, what are you, what are you all using? They said, well, we're using these worms. And I said, worms? 
said, yeah. I said, well, I've got a lot of worms. Unfortunately, they're back at the cabin because Tim told me, oh, you'll never catch anything with worms up there. But uh, the bottom line is is that we came back to, to Dallas, and the next week at church, you know, we, um, I think all uh, four of the five of us uh, went to Wilshire, and uh, when we got back, we spoke of our experience, and, and all of a sudden it was kind of like, oh, man, that sounds like fun. If you ever do that again, can I go? Uh-huh. And so the next year, people started asking uh, in, the, you know, in the summer, I guess, you know, are you going to do another backpacking trip? And I said, well, I, I guess if there's some interest, I'll put it together. And so, uh, oh, so we did. So, <laughs> so, we, uh, uh, so I, put, I kind of organized something and said, okay, we'll do it this weekend. And next thing you know, 14 people said they'd like to go. Huh. And so every year, I think since then, it's kind of like, okay, where are we going this year? And so... Uh, for the last 33 years, we've uh, done a backpacking trip in New Mexico or um, canoe trips in Canada. Mm-hmm. So, Dad, I want to hear your take on how did you how did that play out? Mom just said, "Here, you're going on this." Or yeah, well, the uh, way it happened was uh, another friend of ours was planning to go on the trip. I hadn't really planned to go, and. She was at, your mom was at church Wednesday night and saw Ross. I think it was Ross that had planned to go. And Ross was saying he all of a sudden something had come up and he wasn't able to go. And she said, well, Guy will go on that trip. <laughs> and uh, so she came home and told me uh, I was leaving Thursday night to go backpacking. And uh, I had backpacked once before in my life, so I had no equipment or anything. But fortunately, Ross had his stuff together because he was planning on going. So Thursday I ran to uh, Kenny's Shoes and bought a pair of boots and a few other things and got Ross's stuff. And uh, Thursday night I was I was flying out with Tim and them to go backpacking <laughs> for the weekend. Well, so talk about some of the gear that you guys used back then. I mean, I look at these oh, pictures wow. of y'all standing <laughs> in the, the fall Aspens and most of y'all are wearing blue jeans, and maybe you oh, have yeah. on some Walmart version long underwear or something. You don't have the latest, greatest <laughs> first light gear like yes. I get to sport here. But uh, yeah, those those boots I bought from Kenny's, I think they were really work boots. <laughs> and uh, that first trip up, halfway up the mountain, those boots came off, and my feet were sitting in a the stream next to the trail. I, I really wore some great blisters from those boots. I had a uh, kind of a canvas back sleeping bag that I'd got somewhere in high school. I think the way thing weighed a hundred pounds, uh, <laughs> but I didn't know any better. And I carried that thing up the mountain for years and years and years until I realized, wait, there's something you can get. That's a lot lighter than that. Yeah. Uh, none of this, uh, you guys carried everything up yourselves back then. The horses didn't come along yeah, for a while. Yeah, it was a true backpacking trip with uh, you know lightweight food and and everything else for the uh, the first few years. And uh, as far as gear goes, yeah, it it was mostly the gear that I had as far as cooking gear and things like this. And and I had for the most part I had fairly decent gear. But again, in in the context of today's Gore Tex and and uh, other lightweight stuff, it was pretty primitive, I would say. Thermarest, greatest yeah. invention ever. <laughs> I, I've often thought that if I could get a commission off of uh, what people bought in gear at REI and Camp Moore and Cabela's and places like that, I'd be a rich man today yeah. uh, for, for all the gear that people have bought for these trips over the years. But uh, we've definitely improved our, our gear situation. I mean, I know that it takes a few years to get 
the you know the the you know the boot and the shoe and the sock configuration and the sleeping configuration squared away. But uh, I think everybody's upgraded their rain gear and uh, their footwear and their sleeping you know gear and all that sort of stuff over the years. So uh, it's um, uh, we've definitely seen some improvement in that regard. Oh, I know for a fact that 17 years ago when I first started backpacking. At least for the first four or five years, I wore Doc Martin hiking boots that were not waterproof. I probably didn't even put any wet seal on them to make them, uh, you know, water resistant and just rolled with it. That's how things were back then. But we're going to take a quick break here. We'll come back and continue the discussion on origins. And and we'll also pick Tim's brain on the logistics of planning these backcountry backpacking trips for large groups. And uh, that segment, by the way. Brought to you by First Light. Say, hey, if you're heading into the backcountry, <laughs> blue jeans and Walmart long johns might have cut it back in the day for uh, old timers like Dad and Tim here. But these days, you got to go with what actually works and performs. And I'm talking about First Light, of course. And one of my favorite pieces are the Corrigate Guide Pants. That's what I will be taking on the Montana Elk Hunt. That's the only pair of pants that I will be taking because I'm counting every ounce. And uh, I'm not taking a backup. Just... Uh, layer up if they get wet the good news is they dry quickly Uh, they are durable comfortable got a little stretch to them and you can find it at firstlight.com firstlight go further stay longer we'll be right back with more backcountry discussion on the lone star outdoor show Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. This is Stephen Ranella. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. She has me if I loved her. I said, don't you know I do? But I ain't gonna live this with you talk down. I don't want even for you. Blake, great, rusty, weird. Mama, I don't want to lay this guitar down. I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Thank you so much for dropping in today on this Origins uh, special edition of the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Uh, Well, I say special. It's special to me anyway, because this is the first time my dad has ever been on the show. Also, I've got our good family friend, Tim Morgan, here in studio. We're really going back in time to figure out how this show came about, ultimately. Uh, How did... I get here. I don't know. I got a degree in radio, TV, film, and somehow (laughs) here we are. Uh, And that has everything to do with Dad and Tim uh, and and other folks as well. But those two probably have the biggest imprint for sure uh, on this uh, reality that we are living in right here. And so we're going to pick it back up with, with them here momentarily. But first, this segment is proudly brought to you by the new Vortex Fury. Range finding binocular is a must have. Especially for the minimalist hunters out there who want to cut down on their gear, um, 
you don't want to have two pieces. Say you don't want to have a rangefinder and a bino. Well, you got the best of both worlds. It's the Vortex Fury, and you can find it at vortexoptics.com. Uh, with that being said, let's get back into it with my old man and our friend Tim. And we're going to dive back into that discussion right now. You know, Tim, we talked about that 86 inaugural trip. And you kind of explained how when you guys got back, a bunch of people were like, hey, if you do that again, I want to go. Then the next year you had 14 people come. Uh, so how did you go about planning the the different campsites and, and trails and stuff like that? Because I think I've probably been to five campsites, maybe six in New Mexico over the years with you guys. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the overriding criteria I think that we've, that I've tried to provide on these trips is, uh, is a place where we can catch fish for one. Mm -hmm. uh, so it needed not to be always, not, not always, not always. <laughs> that was an early goal, but <laughs> and, it, and for the most part, we were successful in the earlier years, but, uh, I think New Mexico fishing game used to stock the, those. That is lakes. correct. Yeah. We, we did reasonably well fishing in most of the lakes up there, but at least having the opportunity to fish. Yeah. Now, uh, fishing doesn't always mean catching, but uh, uh, so that was kind of an early criteria. But my goal has always been to be somewhere where we would have a decent campsite. Obviously, scenery played a big role in it, but I wanted us to have a wilderness-type experience, you know, someplace where we wouldn't always, you know, we wouldn't be around an, an awful lot of other people. Mm -hmm. I wanted us to be able to get away and actually have what you'd call somewhat of a true wilderness experience. And so, um, uh, you know, there are uh, a number of lakes in the high country in northern New Mexico that, uh, that we've gone to. We've pretty much gone back to a lot of the, like you said, you might have been to about five different sites. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've, we've probably generally been to really just two areas, the Pecos Wilderness and the headwaters of the uh, Pecos River, and as well as the Wheeler Peak area up in the, between Red River and Taos. And uh, these, these areas are both just beautiful areas. Uh, they're you know, essentially a day's hike to, to get to, which either five and a half to seven and a half miles. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've, you know, gone to places like that that uh, would provide that kind of ex wilderness experience, fishing experience, and ample opportunities for day hiking for those who don't fish. Now, not everybody that goes on the trip is a fisherman. No, there's plenty of guys that want to go look at a waterfall or yep, hike. Absolutely. You know, or climb a mountain. Climb I mean, the top you know, we, of Wheeler we, Peak, the highest point absolutely. in New Mexico. We've been to the top of Wheeler yeah. Peak a number of times. We've been to Santa Fe Baldy. We've been to Pecos Baldy. We've been to Redondo Peak. Uh, uh, there are probably other peaks that we've, you know, summited as well. So, Dad, uh, have you ever hiked to the top of Wheeler? Oh, several times. I sure. Never have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I've camped there four times, and I am always fishing or grouse hunting, and just that the I like seeing the nature aspects when I'm when I'm hunting or fishing. Actually, climbing up to the top of the mountain just didn't appeal to me. <laughs> uh, one one year, uh, you know, there was no nothing nothing like cell phones initially, but uh, one year I had a cell phone, old Motorola cell phone that probably weighed. Seven, eight, ten pounds itself. One of those brick-shaped things. Yes, and uh, to get it to work, I had to go up to the top of Wheeler Peak. So I, uh, I definitely had to go up one year just call and check on us. Just to uh, well, your your sister's birthday was yeah. that weekend when we were out there. So I had to go up and make sure to give her a call. Yeah. So how many uh, trips have you missed in thirty? Tim, 33 years? Uh, 33, yes. 33 one years. one time. I was, we had a conflict on a, a vacation we were taking, a mission trip to Russia, so I wasn't able to go that one time. And how many of my sister's birthdays have you missed? Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't know. That's, Priorities. Yes, the trip usually falls 
close to close to her birthday time. So uh, late September. Yes. So yeah. it's always kind of been a little earlier years, obviously a bigger issue than it would be now. Well, so our listeners have heard me talk about my experiences in New Mexico from grouse hunting to elk hunting and these backpacking trips and uh, my love for the land of enchantment, Tim, I mean, going back to what I said earlier and how you've been an instrumental role in those early, I guess, 2003, uh, you guys said, Hey, uh, I guess cable can come. So I think (laughs) I was, uh, I think the rule was you had to be 21. I think that's kind of what we decided at some point. I'm not, not sure how well we've, uh, adhered to that rule, but, uh, yeah, you know, there was that, that initial year where he said, hey, you know, God, this is something Cable would love to do. So uh, he was the first first of the second generation to make the trip. Mm-hmm. Well, they always, you know, the other problem, too, was we typically went in, you know, mid to late September, even the first week of October. And, um, you know, the kids, you know, many of them were in college and or school, and so that was always a problem. But uh I guess as the boys grew older, that uh, you know those you know the the opportunities seemed to open up a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can skip college for that. Oh yeah, <laughs> shoot, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, we're now outnumbered. I think this year we had more second generation than we had first. Yeah, I probably did. Mm-hmm. Well, so Tim, talk about some of the bad weather years. I know <laughs> we actually had uh, what was that? Two thousand seventeen. Two thousand seventeen. Yeah. Where we got snowed off the mountain. Some of us yeah. went out early. Yeah. Myself, uh, I think you had a mule deer tag, mm-hmm. and then David had a mule deer tag. Correct. And so we were all mm-hmm. muzzleloader hunting, and we went out a couple days uh, or d- a day early. Everyone else was going to drive out or fly out the next day, and you know we had all the gear with and the horses and stuff. I guess, and today we actually use horses. We don't carry it all in on our backs, other than our packs. But some still carry their packs. Yeah. But we mm-hmm. we carry the group gear and and. Uh, some horses carry, or horses carry even some people sometimes. Yeah. But uh, Well, with a group of, say, 15 people, oh, yeah. that's really the only yeah. efficient way to carry that much right. food and, and gear up Well, and, and it started in some in some respects because of my concern for, as we age, uh, you know, most of us were, live relatively sedentary lives, and then all of a sudden you you go out to the high country and, and plan on hiking five, six, seven miles up to over 11,000 feet. Um, I was have always had a little bit of concern about uh, you know the fitness of people to do that, and some people probably need to, if nothing else, not carry a backpack, and um, and others have made their own choice to ride mm-hmm. uh, along the way. But but as far as bad weather goes, uh, you know the first couple of years, I mean uh, normally the weather is really good in, in late late September in yeah. in, uh, in the mountains. It's beautiful. Uh, you've got fall colors typically there, and uh, usually have beautiful clear days, but uh, that's the mountains, uh, you know, all weather's local. And so you never know what you're going to get. So we've had any number of years where we've probably had four or five years where we've had what I would out of 33, which is pretty good, where we've had, um, you know, precipitation uh, in some to some degree that, that affects the trip. And uh, I think 1995 may have been the first year. I think 2005 was another year where we had um really cold weather we had a lot of snow i mean the coldest one one we had was in 1996 in the pecos wilderness where we had uh snow uh, on us on the way up there a couple of inches of snow on the ground when we got to our campsite uh i don't believe the temperature ever rose above freezing during the daytime at least in the shade um and it was extremely cold um and um uh, but uh, like i say you mentioned 2017 that was a year like i say they were 
you and David and I went had hunting or elk, I mean, uh, mule deer tags, and so we went out a day early to, to try to get some hunting in. The weather had been raining all week as it was. Of course, that means snow in the high country. Mm-hmm. We got to uh, the area where we were going to camp, and there was already six inches of snow on the ground, and it covered the trail. It covered everything, and, um, and it was a heavy, wet snow, too. Uh, we had a diff- little difficulty even finding the camp because of the amount of snow that was there. And we sat around looking at each other, and we said, do you think that if everybody else knows what we know, that they would want to be here tomorrow night? <laughs> right. And I think we sort of universally decided, and again, the forecast was for the same weather the rest of the week. What was a safety concern for guys well, in their 60s hiking up those well, trails? Well, that and I think some of the peop- younger people we felt like might not have uh, taken the, 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 you know, the weather forecast as seriously and might have mm-hmm. not been wearing right the proper footwear I, know a of those that <laughs> I think we saved the lives of a couple of uh, the younger people but um the trail was completely covered by snow and i you know it was you know i, I was concerned about people being able to even follow the trail so yeah. so that year we did sort of call it off for you know for part of the group um uh, because of because of that concern but uh you know, that's part of the wilderness experience, though. I mean, if we had all been there at the same time, if we'd all gone up at the same time and been there, then we would have just, you know, had to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, that's just, that's part of your wilderness experience is dealing with whatever nature throws at you. And you go as prepared as you can, you, you try to be as prepared as you can be, and then you have to deal with it, whether it's rain, whether it's snow, whether it's cold, um, whether it's gear malfunctions or whatever, you have to have to deal with it. Yeah. And speaking of some of those malfunctions, we've had uh, grown men bring their wives hiking boots. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, I think that was, was Ross. That the chaplain? Yes, that was, that was Chaplain Ross. Chaplain that gives us a devotional one night of the. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, and then we've had people forget sleeping bags. Yeah, that now that was your uncle, my, my brother. <laughs> got all the way up the mountain and started getting ready to. Put his sleeping bag down and realized he had left it in the car. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Fireworks. Dad always brings fireworks. That's probably become, I imagine that, that kind of changed after 9-11, though. Were you allowed to put them on an airplane prior to that? Prior to that, yeah, you could get them out on an airplane. After 9-11, uh, Tim has regularly drove out, and whether he knows it or not, he is always carrying <laughs> Uh, a limited amount of fireworks. Just really, mm. it's not like we have a fireworks show. It's just everyone sitting around the campfire, and then the campfire explodes. Yeah, just mysteriously <laughs> somehow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what is Tim? What is the craziest thing you've seen a mountain man do on one of these trips? I've heard stories of guys <laughs> carrying a six pack of coke up there and then dumping it on their heads, and uh, that so, did happen. Um, someone celebrated. I think. The, I don't know if it was summiting a peak or or some day hike. Uh, he got back to camp and he decided to celebrate with the coke and and popped the top and poured it on his head for some reason. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, some of the you know crazier things might be uh, uh, your younger brother had a, a little incident with a, a hand warmer that got a little too close to him part of his anatomy and and it uh, sort of blistered up during the course of the night he was he sleeping put it, with it on his butt wasn't he i think so yes yeah. uh-huh. that, that uh that was one thing uh, as far as crazy things i think the you know the pyrotechnics that that guy used to do to light the way to the latrine at night or, or back from the latrine uh used to used to um was, was one thing that i think at least one person remembers well mm, several <laughs> 
But uh, <laughs> the forest being as dry as it's been over the last number of years, I mean, my concern for, you know, uh, you know, just the size of our fires and the fireworks and stuff like this, you got to be, you know, you got to take that into account because the, uh, uh, the, there have been so many, and where we have where we have hiked, there have been some serious, you know, forest fires over the last number of years, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, that is seems to be more of a concern these days, and, and um, you know they've even gone so far as closing the forest down in the summertime, because until the kind of the summer rains typically hit. But uh, uh, the, you know the dry the drought in New Mexico has been a, a major issue of late. Yeah, and it's uh, David and I have have found success in some of those burns elk hunting. Yep. You know the byproduct. Absolutely, the elk, the, the new growth. I mean, you know the forest forest fires are. You know, it initially obviously seemed like a bad thing, but they're part of the cycle of, of life in the forest, and uh, they they definitely create new growth that the the deer and the elk love to love to feast on. Well, let's do this. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and continue down this road of of how this has uh, impacted me personally, and I know um, your son David and and both of my brothers, Dad. Great. Perfect, and that segment was brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. They've been helping their borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. They will do the same for you. If you're ready to take that plunge, whether it's for recreating, hunting, fishing, farming, ranching, whatever, just want to get the hell out of the big city, they've got your back and can make that happen. Check them out at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We'll be right back with more on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. King of the road, I know. Engineer on every train, all of their children and all of their names. Every hand. Hi, I'm Luke Anderson, the owner of Colt Construction. I'm also a proud outdoorsman, proud to support the Lone Star Outdoor Show. With roots dating back generations of hard work in the outdoors, I take pride in serving the citizens of the Lone Star State. There are tons of so called roofing contractors in North Texas, but having a qualified, experienced, trustworthy one to deal with is few and far between. We want to be your one-stop shop to leave it better than we found it and have a relationship that goes past just improving your home or business. We run on three main principles. Quality, because quality comes with a price. We want to do it right the first time and use the best materials. Integrity, because you want to know the true condition of your home or business. And I'm going to be honest and tell you exactly what I think. Grit, because I've swung the hammer. Bottom to top, I've done the labor. I know how the system works. We specialize in many different systems, including metal, clay tile, flat roofing, and good old shingles. You can find us at coltbuilds.com, our Facebook page, or our phone number is 817-789-7588. Colt Construction, dirty hands, clean money, your blue-collar guy to call. I made the scene. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Thank you so much for being here today. It is a pleasure to be talking all things outdoors with you. Thanks to Dallas Safari Club, our title sponsor, and our good friends over at Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. We're about to continue with this Origins edition of the show, something we've never done before. And a lot of folks might be surprised to learn that I have not been hunting my entire life. It's something I picked up at the age of about 21. I'm 38 now. Uh, but, man, <laughs> once I found it, I never looked back. Uh, Dad, who is here in studio 
introduced me into camping, the outdoors, and fishing. That was always a part of our life, but we never had guns in the house. And uh, our good friend Tim Morgan has also influenced this development through my love for the backcountry, which started with the first mountain man trip 33 years ago. Of course, uh, as we talked about earlier, I wasn't invited until I was 21 years old. And that was back in, I guess, 2003, somewhere in there. So let's pick it back up here with this discussion right now. Dad, Tim, thanks for sticking around. Um, I wanted to go back to, I, I think I said 86 earlier, but the first trip was 87. How many how many different individuals have, have come on this trip over the years, Tim? I think upwards to 80 different people have participated uh, over the over the years, and maybe more than that. I haven't, I did because we had a couple of, we had two or three new ones this year, uh, and I haven't updated the list since last year. But I'd say, you know, in the neighborhood of 80 different people have come uh, at one time or another. And so... In all of those years before I came, and I actually didn't even do this for the first couple of years, but did anyone ever bring a firearm or to go hunting? Uh, no. Um, it was just fishing and, and yeah, hiking just f- mostly. Fishing and hiking and, uh, and photography and uh-huh. just, you know, relaxing and mountain climbing and whatever. So uh, I think it wasn't until you or, or you and David yeah. decided that, uh, you know, there's grouse up in these woods. Exactly. <laughs> when we were like, what? What, when is the grouse season? Oh, it's late September. This mm-hmm. is great. Yeah. Yeah. So I know um, we, we probably traded in the fishing poles for shotguns a couple mm-hmm. times there. And then uh, that eventually would escalate into, oh, there's, is that an elk bugle? And, <laughs> oh, did you see that mule deer buck? And so the next mm-hmm. thing you know, we're putting in for tags left and right and trying to coordinate, mm-hmm. you know, or maybe you're working more with us to try to coordinate <laughs> where we can, we can still go on these trips uh, if we do draw a tag. Um, but you know, 2003, that's where I fell in love with the backcountry. Um, like I said, we did a lot of camping, but I don't think we really did much of anything in the mountains, maybe just no. skiing and stuff like that. Yeah. And so from there, I think that was about the same time, Tim, that your son took me duck hunting for the first time, maybe within a year or two of that. Mm-hmm. And, and I had this dog, Maverick, and mm-hmm. the girlfriend I got him with left, and the dog stayed. And so <laughs> we, uh, he fell in love with it, and I was hooked, and we never, never really looked back. And like I said... Uh, Dave was a big part of that. Our listeners have heard him on the show before as we've done our elk hunting recaps. He's by far the best hunter I know. Hmm. And we were even talking about this on the canoe trip, how when something gets shot, whether it's an elk or a mule deer (laughs) or whatever, he might be on the next ridge over, but he just shows up. He's like, oh, I knew you guys shot something. And elk like with a bow. Like, how do you know that? (laughs) He just shows up and he's like, let's pack it out. David is probably... He, I, I would probably agree he's probably the most skilled hunter and woodsman that I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's... Eagle Scout. Exactly. I, I'd like to take credit for uh, for some of his skill. I, I can only take credit for getting him started in that. And, and and you ask about my hunting experience growing up. And again, I had a very limited hunting experience. I always kind of wanted to, but really never had the means or the opportunity. My, you know, my dad you know, made arrangements from time to time to, to do a little deer hunting when I was in high school. But... Uh, he was not a hunter, and so bottom line was, I think when David was probably eight or nine years old, he for, he sort of had developed the same interest and maybe through the same way, looking at outdoor magazines or whatever else, and and maybe even was more vocal about it than I was when I was a child, and my wife said, can't you take this boy hunting sometime? <laughs> and so I said, oh, if that's the, if that's what we need to do, then let's, and so we found our way onto a deer lease, and, and uh 
And from that point forward, we just, you know, we, we learned as we went. I mean, I knew the basics of hunting, and, and David studied it and picked it up and taught himself most of what he knows. And so uh, he became a very proficient deer hunter, and obviously as he got older, I mean, the elk started to have an attraction. And he's, he's the most capable person in the woods that I know. If I'm, if I'm in the woods, I'd like him nearby because I, I guarantee you, you'll never be lost. You'll yeah. always find your way where you need to go if he's, if he's near. Well, I think it was 2014 maybe I drew my first elk tag in New Mexico, and you guys were camping somewhere that was uh, maybe like 3,000 feet in elevation lower than where the elk were hanging out. Mm-hmm. And so I camped with you all the first night, and I was planning on being there a week. I think you all were there the usual three nights. And so I said, up, oh, I'm out of here. I got to go find the elk. I got this tag mm-hmm. and a bow in my hand, and I got about a seven-mile hike or something like that. <laughs> Dave was like, ah, you know, I know your back's been bothering you. Why don't I just carry your pack for you halfway <laughs> in, in the pouring down rain? And so we, we do this all-day hike. He helps me set up my spike camp, and then he turns around and walks back to y'all's camp in the <laughs> rain, bushwhacked. I don't even yeah. think he used a trail. I think that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, over these past – 17 or so years it's kind of been a shift a lot of the older guys have have stopped coming uh for one reason or another but uh, younger guys like some of my friends and obviously my brothers have filled in the in the gap the young people seem to have enjoyed coming and and they've started inviting some of their friends and so as as guy said you know the young people the second generation probably outnumbered us on this last trip Mm -hmm. so I mean, quite honestly, I've never attempted to get the numbers, make the numbers large, and yeah. you know, at any point. And and in some years, I've really had worried about them being as large as they've been. Yeah. So um, I really don't need for us to have larger groups. But um, so it, it's sort of managed itself. I mean, I hate to say no to anybody, and I don't think I really have truly said no yeah. uh, to anybody as far as they're being able to come. But. Um, well, that leads me to my next question, yeah. which is talk about the logistics of planning a trip for anywhere from 10 to <laughs> 20 mountain men. Well, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, because what, been, you know, I, yeah. ideally, what if there's someone out there that's listening? Like, hey, this would be a great yeah. thing for my uh, youth group yeah. or my church. Well, I'd be in all honesty. This guys w- that like to drink beer, whatever. The case. <laughs> well, this is, this is an issue that maybe fueled my interest in this kind of kind of trip to start with and it has always been there because i did not do this much when i was young mm-hmm. and so, in, in part measure because i didn't know how and uh and i worked a lot with boy scouts over the years and one of the things that i did in, in leading the outdoor program and high adventure program for our scout troop was i wanted to make sure that these kids got to have the kind of experiences that i did not have when i was growing up and i hoped that they were able to see how to do it, it and and for the most part it takes just simply the a decision to go for one decide where you want to go and and there's plenty of resources out there that can help you uh, learn where the trails are where the scenery is uh, you know where the wildlife is perhaps you know in backcountry settings if you want to go into an, an alpine setting or if you want to go into you know some a canyon setting or something like this but as far as the you know for me it's just for the most part it's picking a date putting it out there for people and say okay who wants to go and then you know having people sign up now i i own most of the gear and i'm able to you know provide that for you know the groups that we have as far as a backpacking group goes as far as you know cooking gear and tarps and and uh, tents. tents and and uh, stoves and and all that kind of stuff uh and over the years people have managed to you know either acquire or borrow you know their own gear 
but as far as logistics go, it's it's you know, you've got to think about you know the food requirements, you know, and I I usually buy all the food and I package it up and and uh, you know using uh, when we decided to start using horseback, uh, some people said, hey, I I don't mind paying a little more, you know, to to not have to carry a backpack up the mountain. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we started first by getting an outfitter to provide pack horses just to carry backpacks up. And then we'd carry everything down yeah. that we didn't eat or burn. But that gave us the freedom to, to do a little bit nicer food rather than the freeze-dried stuff, you know, all the time. So uh, logistically, it's, uh, it does require a little time and energy to do this. And, and after, like you mentioned, 9-11, that became, it became a lot more complicated to transport all this stuff on an airplane. Used to, what we would do, we'd fly out to New Mexico on a Thursday morning. We'd hit the trail the afternoon, rent cars, get up to a trailhead, and we'd be in, on the trail and up at a high mountain lake in the evening. And so it used to be uh, not a problem to show up at Love Field and check, you know, 10 or 12 boxes worth of stuff on Southwest Airlines. Well, after 9-11, you know, that became much more of a challenge. And two, checking things like camp stoves, even though they don't have fuel in them, um, became a, was somewhat of a problem. So I just, you know, I've started to drive out and do that. So, um, you know, you just have to put a little time in, in planning the, you know, how you're going to transport the stuff. And, you know, if you're going to do it strictly on your backs, then you just, you have to go lightweight and do that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Now, if you do a canoe trip like we did recently, uh, it's a little different because, uh, again, you pick your date and, and uh, pick your outfitter and, and they usually do most of all the work. Yeah, so talk about that the, on the Boundary Water side of things. How do those outfitters facilitate a lot of the work that you would have had to have done for a mount, you know, a backpacking trip. Sure. Well, again, we're we're generally traveling by air up to uh, uh, northern Minnesota or, or western Ontario for these canoe trips, and so taking a, a large amount of camping gear along with you is, is a little bit of a challenge. But the, there are numerous outfitters on both sides of the border up there that do outfitting for wilderness canoe trips, and they provide. Um, you got your Canoe Canada outfitter shirt I on. I do. Yeah, Canoe Canada in Atacocan, Ontario is who we used the last two times we've been up there, and they did an outstanding job for us. Uh, but they provide everything. They provide the canoes. Um, they'll outfit you to the degree you want to be outfitted. I mean, if you have if you have your own canoe and you want just some of the other gear, then they can do that. Uh, if you want them to if you want to bring your own tents or sleeping bags, they usually will work with you on that. But we usually use the complete outfitting service and yeah. they provide uh, tents, sleeping bags, pads, uh, all the food, all the cooking gear, as well fuel as the canoes, and fuel, uh, most everything you would need from a group perspective. We simply had to bring our own personal clothing and so on. Now, as a you know, this being my trip, I usually think of a few other things that that I would want from a group perspective. You know, some water carriers. Uh, uh, some extra tarps in the case we need them, some extra rope and, and some extra ground sheets for the tents and things like this that uh, probably aren't 100% essential, but they, they give me a little more peace of mind that sure. uh, we'll, uh, we'll sleep. Tarps and the tents are nice. we'll, we'll stay dry when we need to and yeah. have what we need. Yeah. So those are some invaluable little uh, tools, I would say, or, or tips that, that you like to implement into the trip. Um, wh what is the cost or anyone listening that wants to go to do, do what we did, the full mm -hmm. – Outfitted service for our, uh, yeah, we, we did four nights. Yeah, we well, it was a five day. I mean, it's we were out four nights, uh -huh. but it, that means five days. Yeah. I mean, it's it's how what portion of a day is how they measure that. And you but, send all this out in a nice tidy email so everyone knows what. Yes, <laughs> hey, none, get none on of this flight from Dallas and you know. none of this would have ever happened without Tim. And and if 
Tim didn't do it. I'm sure no one else would. I mean, he's yeah. it's, he's facilitated this every year, and well, I, I appreciate, we appreciate that. all that he does to do it. So well, the, the, the cost that we yeah, do, yeah, the cost for yeah. I mean, you know, the the outfitting cost basically is roughly a hundred bucks a day, uh-huh. um, you know, and that gets you all the like, that's that's all inclusive for you know food and and gear and so on like this. Um, you know, you have some additional costs just of of getting there if you're flying up there. Uh, that whatever that cost, uh, we used a shuttle service this time, to, uh, which I thought was very reasonable uh, out of International Falls, uh, Minnesota this time to get where we were going. Previously, we rented cars to get to the outfitter's base and so on. Uh, it just depends on how you get there. But the, the outfitting cost itself, uh, generally speaking, is uh, roughly 100 bucks a day. I mean, the ones on the Minnesota side, uh, I think, are probably in that same ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, sometimes it may vary if you have a group size or longer trips, you might get a little discount or you might, uh, the price per day may, may drop a little bit, but, uh, yeah. you're in that neighborhood and all these outfitters have websites that are, um, you know, pretty ex- explanatory of, of what they offer and what their costs are. So Usually a bunkhouse for the night that you get there. If you don't get there in time, you know. some of them, some of them have, uh, accommodations at their facilities, um, uh, Canoe Canada, you know, had a bunkhouse and the place we used uh, Canadian showers, bu- all that stuff, yeah, yeah, and showers and then things. That, and they provide shuttle service to and from your put-in points on the lake. And they pick, you know, they put us in. They picked us up. We came back and were able to clean up in the in the outfitters uh, facility there. Most of them will have something like this. I mean, others are going to, you know, may not. They, you know, the ones down in Minnesota, some there's a lot of them, and not all of them are going to have those on-site facilities, but they. As far as their outfitting service, I suspect they offer something similar. So all that plus a fishing license. Uh, I think the fishing license for non-resident was like forty dollars or something like that. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then your flight. I think what maybe a thousand bucks for a five-day canoe trip. It was probably you know eleven twelve hundred dollars for a five-day trip that we did. That's yeah, well worth it. I had a lot of people mm-hmm. on Instagram and then emails asking about our trip, just looking at our mm-hmm. pictures and. It looked like we had an awesome time because we did. Oh, absolutely, we and, did. Uh, and so I wanted to, you know, have you on and, and talk about the logistics of that. Um, I, I can't say, and I've been a lot of places, that there's a more pristine wilderness than than doing one of those boundary water trips. Dad, we went to a lake called uh, what was it called? Uh, Owl <laughs> Owl Lake, maybe Owl Lake. Yeah, I Owl think lake. it was. So yeah. we had a canoe, uh, maybe five six miles just to get there. Uh, that was right. just one lake called Narrow Lake we had to take to get there. I don't know that another person has stepped foot on that lake, at least this year, because the portage was completely yeah, destroyed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and that's what's so – one of the neat things about these trips is you, you're you in areas where – there's. I mean, you're in areas where maybe nobody's ever been. I mean, they've been in the area, but you could probably be at a certain point and say probably nobody's ever been at this spot before. Yeah. Uh, in that little lake we went to, uh, there wouldn't be any reason, I don't think, for anybody to go to that lake other than just to make it a special trip. It wasn't a pass-through lake or anything. And certainly the way we had the portage indicated there hadn't been anybody <laughs> anybody recently who had been on that lake. Well, we heard there was big smallies there, so we yes. wasted our time to go try to find We we, we tried. We left bigger smallies to go find the smaller yes. ones in the <laughs> lake that no one's ever been to. <laughs> Uh, but mm-hmm. that's the beauty of the trip is is you're just so removed from you know the hustle and bustle of, of everyday life. Whether you go to the Boundary Waters or the mountains, it's the same feeling. Sure. Well, there's a where we were. 
we were on the Canadian side, and you know, the Boundary Waters is a is a is a U.S. Forest Service wilderness area mm. on the northern border of Minnesota. On the other side of the border in Canada, you have the Quetico Park, which is a provincial park that, uh, and the parks, whether it be Boundary Waters or Quetico, uh, you know, are have a lot more rules and regulations about group size and and uh, campsites and things like this, all of which are. I think you know help keep these these areas as pristine as they are. Uh, where we were camping this last time was uh, in the last two times we've been up there was just a little bit outside of the Quetico Park, and uh, frankly, you you probably can't tell the difference between you know being in the provincial park and and not uh, just with the beauty of the scenery and the and the remoteness of the area, and there's in in that whole area of, of far western and uh, Ontario is in a similar vein. I mean, there are just lake one lake after the other, and um, uh, it's easy to find a, a wilderness experience up there uh, if you're willing to put in a little time. And again, the outfitters are really good about helping you uh, strategize about where to go and, you know, what the portages are like and where the campsites are and things like that. Yeah, well, I want to take a break and we'll come back and talk about portages. Sound good? Good. <laughs> Awesome. And that segment was brought to you by the new Pulsar Trail Thermal Scope. Fits any 30 millimeter ring. So if you're a bolt action guy, hey, this is a scope for you. Also, if you want to put it on your AR, it's totally compatible there as well. Check it out. It's the Pulsar Thermion, the latest and greatest thermal optic from our friends over at Pulsar. You can find them at PulsarNV.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails Magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Are you tired of waking up at 2 a.m. to fight public land skybusters? Cable here for Three Crow Outfitters and their new North Texas Duck Club, which consists of over 3,000 acres and 40 water bodies throughout Ellis and Navarro counties. Three Crow does the planting, provides metal blinds, decoys, and posts a weekly scouting report. All you and your buddies do is reserve the property you want and show up to hunt. This opportunity is limited to 10 four-person memberships, so for the waterfowling experience of your lifetime, go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 today. Down at Stagnite at the Prairie Rose A covered band from 10 to close And my old man sitting right there Mike 
Mike and the Moon Pies, Steak Night at the Prairie Rose, bringing us back on the little old Lone Star Outdoor Show. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm your host, Cable Smith, and we are rocking and rolling, visiting with my father and our good friend, Tim Morgan. Um, this is the Origins edition of the show. As we are approaching 500 episodes, this is episode 497, I figured it was probably time to dive into how we got here. And that's what we're doing today. So thanks for being along for the ride. This segment of the show proudly brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Rudy's True Texas Style Barbecue, where you can drop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. That's right. Uh, as soon as you get off the water or out of the woods, head over to Rudy's. And while you're at it, grab an ice cold Lone Star Beer. Lone Star Beer and Rudy's True Texas Style Barbecue couple Texas traditions like none other. Um, all right, let's jump back into it here with Pops and our friend, Mr. Tim Morgan. Well, guys, thanks for sticking around. Still um, certainly enjoying the conversation, reliving our recent canoe trip and then all of these previous uh, mountain man experiences that uh, have been facilitated by Mr. Morgan here. And one of the things that sticks out, though, of the, the, the we've done four canoe trips, I think 2007, 2012? Nine. 2009? Nine. And then 2016, and then this, this year. year. Okay. One of the things that, that sticks out, and, and I don't, I, I didn't even know what Portage was before <laughs> we did that first one. And it's basically, you just take all your gear, put it on your back, and then throw the canoe over your head, and, and you're walking from, obviously on our side, what is it, uh, Minnesota's a land of 10,000 lakes or something like that. Um and that's because it's lake after lake after lake after lake. And there's a little strip of land. It might, it might be 100 yards. It might be 50. It might be 800. Uh, but those portages can get a little hairy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we, saw that, uh, we saw that this year. We've seen it every year. After I did a little consensus with the, the older guys. You guys are in your late. What, Dad, how old are you? 66. Do I have to say that? 68 yeah. this week. 68. Yeah. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I asked just to kind of get a feel what what your demographic thought about the mountain man versus the canoe trip. And basically everyone said that they thought the canoe trip was easier on their bodies. Well, yeah, and, and of course a big factor of that is the younger generation being able to carry the canoes and some oh, of the heavier gear. About that. That, <laughs> that helps quite a bit, believe me. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is the first year you actually accepted help. Uh, before this, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I was, and I still look at you as my dad and strong. Uh, but no, this year just a little more frail. Than, yeah, yeah. There's well, the something other, about getting old. That yeah. Well, the other big part fact, of other big difference between the two is the altitude. You don't you don't have altitude uh, when you're you know when you're on a, these canoe trips, whereas you have plenty of altitude, um, you know, in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But the uh, yeah, the portages can beat you up a little bit. It was the uh, 2016 trip where we get out of this portage and I'm walking to the lake to put the canoe in and I've got it over my head and I just disappear and I sink down to my shoulders in like quagmire or, and, and I'm less like this voice under the canoe saying, help, help. <laughs> help. Yes. Yeah, that was... Uh quite an experience all of a sudden for 
you to be there, and then all of a sudden, you, yeah, the canoe's almost on the ground, and we don't mm -hmm. see you anymore. Well, uh, and Ross, it, it had happened to Ross just before it happened to you. Yeah. I mean, I, I approached the portage. and there's, Ross, no sign, there's no warning sign. Yeah, Ross says, took a step, <laughs> and all of a sudden, he was up to his chest in the mud, and, and I pulled him up, and then you came, and, and the canoe went down, and you went down, and... I mean, just on the other side. So we had to watch very carefully where we were stepping. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was after, uh, that was probably the most difficult portage we did anyway because uh, it was, uh, I guess, the last, you know, 100 yards were, was just walking through mud. Yeah. I mean, it was it was just wet and mud and lots of downed debris and so on like that. But it's, the big problem with portages is there's, you know, there's, especially traveling with a large group, is that we had seven canoes this last time and, there's not a lot of space when you approach the portage, you know, to stop and get out and offload your gear, you know, get the canoe and, and, you know, sometimes you go, you much straight up a hill and then through the, you know, it's, it's, it's basically hiking on a trail, but, um, you know, you've got, you're carrying a 17 foot canoe, you know, through trees and, mm -hmm. and, uh, brush and timber and things like this. You got a so, 50 pound pack on your back. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. um, you know, they're, they can be challenging, but you know, for the most part, most of, you know the portages are relatively short compared to uh, you know hiking the mountains. Mm -hmm. So it's a, uh, uh, but that is one aspect of, of canoe tripping that is uh, that is different, and, and most people in this part of the world really don't know what that's like. Yeah, yeah, and and the the rowing itself not very hard. I mean, I, we probably literally Dad and I got in the boat in the canoe every morning, and we went fishing and just fished all day, and I think you know. We did, I would like to say, about 45, 50 miles. Well, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. it, just in the four days of paddling. And mm -hmm. you're, you're a little sore after one day, but then your body kind of gets used to it, and it's really not all that bad. Well, well it depends on the wind, too. Well, the wind, and if, if your older son happens to tip the canoe over, that, that uh, is always uh, a factor, so too. Right. This is the first year that I haven't done that. Yes, yeah, first year. We didn't We didn't actually have a Cost spear. you an iPhone in 2016. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I've lost two I've, two phones on uh, canoe trips. So. Oh, well, you're, well, that's what sons are for. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, well, in some of the cool wildlife that you get to see up there, we've seen otters. We've seen... Uh, you see loons just about everywhere you look. We've had this past year, we had a bald eagle that would, we'd clean the smallmouth bass and he was like our camp pet and he'd come in and uh, we tried, you know, it was really like baiting him so we could see him closer. Uh, some people have seen moose, um, wolves have been heard. Uh, just Be lots beavers. of. Yeah. Deer. Lots of, so some deer. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then the fishing dad, these, these smallmouth bass. If people want to go smallie fishing, this is the place to go. Absolutely. If you put a wacky rig, any color five-inch worm, yes. toss it out there, and you're going to get a smallie hookup. Well, just about any lure, any I think just about anything we threw. I threw a redfish, a gold redfish yes. spoon. You're going to get yeah. you're going to get a smallie, and it may be a small smallie, but eventually you're going to hopefully get into some larger sized ones. Yeah. But you're certainly going to get bit those in. in those fish are fun to catch, man. They're they're good fighters. Way way more uh, fight in them than than a large mouth of the oh, same size. Absolutely. Yeah, I true. used I I caught quite a few fish just on a spinner bait. Uh, one day and the other day I had a just a gold spoon and I think anything shiny uh -huh. will uh, would attract yes. attention up there. Yeah, and there's also opportunity for pike, uh, lake trout, which Dad caught two nice lake trout on uh, the previous trip. Nobody caught any this year. Um, and then the walleye, which there's only one walleye caught. 
Yes. Who caught who caught who caught that walleye? I think that might be a sore subject. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll give credit to Cable. He caught the walleye. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the fishing's awesome. I think we're there, Tim. I think, and you've gone up to Canada and done a pike, like caught big, big pike. But I think that yeah. was a different type. Of well, I've done a couple of other trips up there, just fly-in fishing trips with my dad and uh, another one with my brother. And my my dad caught some very nice northern pike, like thirty-eight inch. Caught a couple of thirty-eight inchers, and and uh, we caught the lakes we were fishing. They were further north on the Manitoba Ontario border, and we were catching wall only walleye and northern pikes. Mm-hmm. I think that those fish are up shallower earlier in the summer. Yeah, like I, I think know. it's very seasonal. I mean, it, it's just like here. I mean, they have a spawn for oh, for yeah. certain for certain species and certain times. So. The big northerns are, um, last time I was up there was in mid-May, mm-hmm. uh, about eight or nine years ago. And, we, you know, the northerns are very active and, and very catchable in shallow water mm. that time of year. Well, when I shot this bear here in the studio, that was in, uh, that was in May in um, Alberta. Hmm. And there was a big lake called Calling Lake right there where the, where the lodge was. And I tagged out and I was like, oh, cool. There's walleye, good mm-hmm. walleye fishing here. They're like. It's closed to walleye fishing because it's so easy to catch them. You can catch them on every cast because they were wow. spawning, and they like it was closed for like two weeks, no wow. fishing whatsoever. So <laughs> we, but if we were to go earlier in the year, the the bugs would be. Yeah, that that's one one drawing card, I guess, for going uh, in in really uh, kind of late late August, late August. Yeah, the, yeah, I've been I've canoed in that area several times earlier in the season, and and the bugs are and the mosquitoes are just. I mean, you'll spend a half an hour once you get in your tent at night, you know, killing mosquitoes that are cro- you know, coming there with you. Oh, yeah. And if you have to get out and and uh, take care of any personal business during the night, uh, these bugs get very personal with you. Yeah. So, yeah. but you know, you know, they're there even when we were there two weeks ago, but uh, not in the kind of numbers that they are in in June and July. Yeah, yeah. I would say the only two drawbacks are the mosquitoes, which we said not that bad in August, but come out for maybe an hour right at dusk. And they will eat you alive. Uh, and then, you know, sharing a tent with three other dudes, <laughs> the farting and snoring and everything. Uh, but that's part of the uh, that's part of the allure of it as well. Yeah, you you learn to get some a good set of earplugs. Yeah. That's, that's a must. Well, so one thing I take away from this trip every time is the camaraderie, um, family, and lifelong friends. Um, and then always new additions, like people that we had a couple guys who'd never been this year. And you know, I think that's uh, one of my favorite things about it. What is what is your favorite thing about the camaraderie aspect, Tim, of just a bunch of dudes just going into the wilderness? <laughs> well, I would say part of the motivation for me doing what I do with these trips over the years is, is I enjoy helping people share an experience that they might not otherwise you know do on their own. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I've always you know it's one of the been the motivating factors for for working with you know the Indian guys, Indian princess, or Boy Scouts, or the high adventure treks for dads and daughters is trying to help people develop a love of the outdoors and uh, and love of the wilderness experience and so on. But I think the camaraderie that we experience and and have experienced really since day one has been my ultimate takeaway and my ultimate satisfaction that I derive from this is is sure. uh, seeing the people that go and and the the fun that they have and the fun they have with each other. And making new friendships. I mean, I think we've got some friendships that have developed over the last, you know, thirty plus years that wouldn't have happened in any in any other way. And it's, uh, I think, it's especially gratifying to see, you know, 
these kinds of friendships evolve and develop and people develop their love of the outdoors and the love of wilderness and nature and um, you know that that's what gives me the greatest sense of satisfaction and and I hope that uh, and it's really it's good to see the young the second generation coming along here we too. We don't feel so young anymore. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm 21. Well, you, <laughs> younger, well, but uh, it's all relative, Cable. It's all relative. Uh, when you get to be our age, yeah. uh, you know it, it's you know you, you've obviously noticed that we we've slowed down quite a bit. I look back at the pictures from 30 years ago and. We look a lot different when we did uh, yeah, than we do now. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's nothing. I mean, it, it's so special when, uh, you know, I can be up there with my three sons. It, it really is. You just, it, it's well, indescribable. Two this year. Well, yeah. We you have know. your youngest son is not really an outdoorsman. He just comes <laughs> so he doesn't disappoint you. Yeah. And this year he disappointed you because of uh, a fantasy draft in Colorado or some crap uh, like that. The priorities are all out of whack there. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But uh, but I would say too that I mean, I've known Cable. I've known you all your life. Yeah. Uh, I've known your brother all your all his life. I've known all your brothers. I get oh, yeah. your whole family all their lives and. And, uh, you know, I've in, in, you know, and Luke and Dylan, I've known them all their lives, yeah. too. So in many ways, you guys are like almost like, you know, children of mine as well, because I've taught you in Sunday school and I've known mm-hmm. you, like I say, all this time. And my son, uh, you know, comes when he can. I mean, he's is he's got conflicts that well he uh, chose elk hunting over yeah he chose occasionally he'll choose elk hunting over which us, i'm guilty uh, of twice i've missed two <laughs> i've missed two trips yeah. since 2003 both mm-hmm. of them to go elk hunting so but that, but i think that uh, i think that this year i think was really a, i think a truly exceptional uh good year for camaraderie i think we had some new folks and just i think everybody got along well and seeing people you know, adapt to, um, you know, difficult situations, whether it's weather, whether it's, you know, comp- you know, an uncomfortable sleeping arrangement or, uh, or, you know, food that they may not like or whatever else. I think that's, again, part of the wilderness experience. And I think, you know, as we learn to handle these kinds of things, you know, in the wilderness, whether it's in the in lakes and, and rivers of Canada or the mountains in New Mexico or wherever else, I think when we come back, you know, I think other parts of life, you know, become more manageable and and less complicated and less stressful because we we've we've handled what things we things that really are stressful, you know, physically and mentally um, elsewhere. So, you know, for for every trip, there's a moment, uh, and you never know exactly when. At least for me, where you just look around and you just say, "Man, this is this is amazing." You know, God's really created something special here. And, uh, you know, you're just, you're not going to get that anywhere else. Yeah. There's no doubt about that, which is why uh, I'm looking forward to next year, whether we go back to the mountains or <laughs> yes. go back to Canada. I'd vote for Canada because I'm going to elk hunting anyway. Well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Plus the fishing's yeah. better. Uh, yeah. The fishing's better in Canada. That is true. Uh, As of right now, yeah. it sure is. Um, well, you know, this is really a, a, a show about origins and a legacy that you guys have left. Dad, obviously, instilling love for for the outdoors and fishing and me uh tim you know set up that first backpacking trip and then dad fell in love with the mountains and then i i turned 21 and i fall in love with the mountains <laughs> and and then your son takes me duck hunting so i mean um both of you have, have left legacies and 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 your whole family i mean david's in i mean he just got a new job for what travis county or he's, he's kind of a land manager for travis county for some of the, the land that they own so yeah. he's He's involved uh, heavily with the uh, uh, managing the wildlife and the habitat for um, for animal, you know for the area for land in, te- in in that part of the country, yeah. part of the state. And then Emily, your daughter's been—I think she's been on magazines for some of the deer that she's killed, <laughs> and 
And uh, and your son-in-law works for Texas Parks and Wildlife. As uh, I think he, uh, last time I talked to Andrew, he was banding uh, model ducks on the Texas coast. So yeah, he does uh, a lot of work with uh, with wa- waterfowl and alligators and anything uh-huh. having to do with that. And doing yeah. a lot of things now with the habitat involving uh, I think a lot of the uh, um, LPG uh, facilities that are developing along the Texas Louisiana coast down there. Yeah, well, it truly is an outdoor legacy. I know uh, David and and I both are. Uh, well, I'm already, you know, I took Henry dove hunting this weekend <laughs> and he ate it up. And I know David's looking forward to doing the same with his son. So that legacy That's will continue. Sure. Tim, the only question is how much longer can you guys do this? Because <laughs> I don't know who's going to plan the damn thing when uh, when you guys retire. Well, that's 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 why you guys are involved. One of y'all is going to have to step up. There's all right, a, so Tim's going to sell me all his gear for yes. free. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, a lot of a lot of that gear you guys have helped procure over the years. I just am caretaker of it. I think for now, but uh, yeah, well, the, you know, having having a ineffective trolling motor on a canoe trip is uh, aspect of gear accumulation i never would have thought oh yeah we all have this one friend who has all the gadgets and <laughs> this year my lifelong friend dylan uh actually checked a trolling motor brought it on the airplane and it's it's drill propelled like you stick a he had a, a ryobi drill mm-hmm. he stuck in there and he had a whole backpack full of batteries <laughs> And this is, he's probably one of the, well, I don't want to say lazy, but yeah, he's just, uh, he's kind of lazy yeah. and smart at the same time. We were all like, there's no way that is going to work. And I'll be danged if when we didn't go to Owl Lake, we literally Reused. linked two canoes together and went, I don't know, three or four miles, like Mach, uh-huh. Mach 1 speed with that thing. There we go. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. yeah. But then he left it in Canada. So. Well, yeah. Well, that's so. par for the course with him. But, hey, it's been a treat uh, having you guys both here in studio. You all have been big parts of my life, and so uh, I appreciate it very much. Well, thank so you. So we, need, we, got, we, we should mention at least a few of the good pranks that we pulled on some of these trips. Okay. Well, I, yeah. I, I think of one off the bat is uh, Brian Anderson, <laughs> one of my friends, mm-hmm. not an outdoorsman at all. I think it was the first trip he came on. First camping trip in his life. Somebody I think. stuck a... A, a mule deer head, a dead head that they'd found. Yes. He'd like to sleep in, so they just set it in in the tent with him. When he woke up, that's what uh, that's what he yeah, woke up to. I think that head was about 50, 50% gone, so yeah. it, it had a real nice aroma with it. I'm pretty yeah. sure your son strapped it to his pack and carried it off he, the mountain. David did he carry was, it down. I mean, he, he I'm not sure what he did I with it. but he uh, mounted that thing. Well, I knew that he was. It. He, I think he was. He's been fairly enterprising, selling antlers yeah. um, on eBay and things like that. Yeah. But uh, we've had uh, we've had our share of people that have carried rocks, you know, up and down uh, the pack I mountain. Think I've uh, found them in my is pack there? Yes. Um, I don't. Uh, you know, the one of the canoe trips. Uh, remember the evening that uh, the groups had to separate because they were too large for one camp, and Tim's group was further than shouting distance away, a good deal away. And I remember. One night, because they were all older, they went to bed earlier. <laughs> we we went over to their camp and uh, got all their canoes and took them took them down down the lake a ways and put them on the other side of the shore. We left one canoe in their camp, so they'd have a way to retrieve them. Very thoughtful yeah. of you. Yes. Yeah. Well, the next morning, when we were expecting them to uh, Say, oh, comment on us. that, they they froze us out on it. <laughs> So, they didn't give us the satisfaction. No, they never, pretended like it never happened. Exactly. Uh, but that was we knew what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, we knew what happened. <laughs> Some uh, Indians came and stole your yeah. canoes in the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, 
I think uh, we'll wrap it up here, but it truly has been awesome having you guys here in studio. Well, this has been a great, great time. Good experience. I always enjoy the opportunity to talk about the outdoors, and I always enjoy talking about this trip. I think this has been a meaningful part of a of, – there's a number of people for which this is a meaningful part of their calendar every Absolutely. year to be able to do this thing. And I I feel privileged to be a part of it, and I, I enjoy you know being – you know, being a facilitator to help make it happen. So, sure. yeah, every every May you're just kind of waiting. Well, when when am I going to get that email from Tim? Tell yeah. me where we're going and when. Yeah, I, I can think of uh, one specific person who this trip means maybe even more to than it does me, and that's Jansen, my brother. Who's oh, absolutely. He doesn't get the opportunity to to, to do this like I do for work, and and so the year uh, was 2017 when we had the bad weather and we canceled the trip. He's like. You jerks! I need this. <laughs> yeah, he got he got three young girls. He's like, I gotta get out of this house. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, I still think that that I I guess I sort of occasionally question whether we made the right call on that. Who cares? I, I shot a mule deer on the way. Well, down. you did, yeah, but that's uh, true. I I do know that there of, of the people who did not make it up there after we called it off. I think that. Uh, more than would like to admit, you know, we're are probably grateful for not yeah. having had to go through what yeah. what we did because the uh, conditions were not good that year. Well, thanks again, guys. Thank you. Sure thing. Mm-hmm. All right, there they go. <laughs> My old man, Guy Smith, aka Pops, and our lifelong family friend, Mr. Tim Morgan. Uh, that segment of the presentation brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy, and uh, man. Just looking at the clock here. We got to go. Got to get out of here. Uh, thanks to both of our guests today. Uh, thanks to you guys and gals for being here. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show happen. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Well, she was born in the morning, late October.